All right, how many people appreciate Pastor Eddie? I know I do. I, I, I would like to echo his sentiment. Uh, Friday night was awesome. Uh, the number of kids that were here, the number of families that were blessed. Uh, Eddie uh, did a fantastic job putting that whole thing together. So thank you very much, Eddie. And also, I want to thank the Brummets for uh, their role in it as well. The Brummets had quite a hand in it as well. So good morning, everyone. It's a great day, isn't it? It's a great day to be the people of God, isn't it? You know, I, I, I have to start off with something, and um, uh, it's, it's, it's hard for me to start with something like this because, uh, uh, we, like I said, we had such a great Friday night, but every now and then it's, it's time to mourn, isn't it? And um, you probably know from my email or through text or maybe uh, through word of mouth, uh, but our dear friend Ted Pino has passed away. And uh, he was a good friend to many of us. And uh, he served our church very well for many years. Uh, just yesterday, I went into a men's Bible study. And I sat down and I looked around and I said, you know, this Bible study was Ted's idea. And uh, we're, still, we're still having Bible study. Uh, this morning as I walked in and uh, set up the chairs, I said to myself, Ted got these chairs for the church. We were all happy to get rid of those uncomfortable blue chairs, weren't we? And Ted was the one who came in with an idea. And uh, we got these chairs from New Jersey, of all places, through Ted. You know, it wasn't long ago that the, uh, the Simons and the Latins and the Bourgeois and Pastor Michael Hines from Foundations Church, we were all together in Tennessee, and, and we were praying for, for something unrelated, and obviously no one knew it was the last time we were going to be with Ted. So you can imagine our shock when we got the news, but... I'm here to say I'm so proud to serve at this church where the people of God get together and pray when there is a need. And Monday night was a beautiful time for all of us when we got together and we just prayed for Ted, whether it was over Skype or in person. I need to personally thank everyone that has had a hand in uh, serving the Pino family. Um, Mike and Alicia and I, we spent most of Friday with Vicki and um, we put together a meal train for her. So what I want to do is I want to encourage everyone to uh, sign up for meals for Vicky Pino. Uh, we sent out a link on Friday, and I'll be sending it out again this week. So I'd love to fill up all of those dates just to show Vicky how much we love her. Um, and just so everyone knows, uh, Ted's Celebration of Life will be on Thursday at 11 a.m. at Buck Trout Funeral Home. Um, Ted's longtime friend of 45 years, uh, Mike Pasella. Um, he's, he's the very person who baptized Ted. Uh, he is going to be doing the service. So uh, my family plans on being there, and I hope to see you all there as well. Um, but it's, it's time to celebrate the life of our brother, Ted Pino, wouldn't you say? Amen. I also have to bring up another prayer need in our church today. Um, Javier Becerra was admitted to the hospital on Friday night. Um, both he and Caroline, they, they could really use our prayers. Uh, for the sake of their privacy, I'm not going to get into many specifics, um, but he, Javier has a heart condition. That's not a secret, um, and that's just what he's been dealing with for quite some time. Um, I want our church right now, we're going to pray for Vicki, and we're going to pray for the Becerras this morning. Is that all right with you? Uh, won't you join me and pray for these two families? Please stand. 
Because as the people of God, we stand for one another, don't we? So Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we lift up Vicki Pino to you today. Uh, we, we lift her up because not only we love her, but you love her. And we ask that you are providing the comfort that she needs, the comfort that only your Holy Spirit can give. And we thank you that these next couple of weeks, you know, they, they're, they're probably not going to be very easy, but God, we just ask that you meet her where she is. You let her know that you are her God. And you let her know how much you love her. So we thank you so much for Vicki and for the life of Ted. And God, we also lift up the Becerra family to you. And we ask that perfect healing come to Javi's body. We thank you that this season that they're going through, that God, that you are a part of it. You are the most important part of it. And we thank you once again that you meet them exactly where they are and that healing take place. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you all so very much. Thank you. And if you have any questions, uh, you can call me anytime or just see me after the service. You know, de death is an issue that has plagued mankind for a very long time, isn't it? Uh, really, ever since Cain killed Abel. That's a long time ago. The pain that Adam and Eve must have felt when they got the news that their second son was no more. The agony. And I don't think, it, I really don't think it made a whole lot of sense to them either. Because number one, it had never happened before. You mean that's how it happens? They're just gone. And we can't talk to them anymore, this side of heaven. But the second reason is because it was never a part of God's plan for us to die. It never was. And, and I think that's why we are commanded by God to mourn when something like this happens. Because it's, it's not something that's normal. It's something in our minds where we say, something just isn't right. Someone we love is gone. We were with them, and now they're gone. And as we continue our series on Jezebel and Ahab and Elijah, I want to focus on a part of the story that specifically deals with death. And, and I, I actually didn't quite time it this way to go along with what happened with Ted this week but it just kind of happened to be where we landed. And it's a timely message, I believe, because I believe that it gets us focused on what truly is important in our lives. When we think about the most mysterious deaths of the Bible, there's usually three people who come to mind. And, and I, I know people are already thinking, who are the three most mysterious deaths of the Bible. The first is probably going to be a guy by the name of Enoch. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. It says he walked with God, and then he was no more. God took him. And, and I remember the first time I read Genesis, I was 12 years old, and I came to this passage, I got stuck and I said, what is with this guy, Enoch? He just walked with God, and, and God took him. And he was no more. I had a very uh, animated conversation with my father about it, to be honest with you. Who is this guy, Enoch? And the Bible doesn't really say much more about Enoch, unfortunately for me. I'll have to figure it out when I get to heaven, I guess. And Enoch himself can tell me. But I had to know, what kind of a relationship 
does this man have to have with God to have walked with God and not seen death? And I wonder, this is is how my mind works, I wonder what his funeral was like. You know, uh, his son Methuselah might have been there and given a word and, you know, maybe maybe given a eulogy. probably not a eulogy, they didn't have a Bible yet, but he probably said something. Maybe his father Jared was there. Maybe his great, 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 great grandfather Adam was there because he was still alive. I'm sure they mourned. I'm sure they cried. I'm sure they told some stories about their friend. Even had people laughing at one point. But something was missing from Enoch's funeral. It was his body. His body was missing. And while I don't have a clue what funerals were like before the flood, to us it would be strange to have a funeral without a body, wouldn't it? But time passes on, and man continues his way through history. And the other two mysterious deaths in the Bible, they're, they're just as obvious, I think. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 4 through 6. Because it's here that our friend Moses, the servant of God, a man who served as a prophet and a priest, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. He was perhaps more accomplished than any other prophet in the Bible. There's times that he was spending time with God and he came out with his face so radiant that the people couldn't even look at him. What an amazing man. There are so many stories about Moses that we are all familiar with where he leads the children out of Israel, out of Egypt. And they spend 40 years in the desert. He sees water come from a rock. He sees a pillar of smoke. He sees battle. He splits an entire sea. And then he has time to write nearly one-sixth of the entire Bible. Not bad for a guy with a stutter. But in those first five books of the Bible, we have ample evidence to believe that he did not write a certain part of it for an obvious reason. Because the very end of Deuteronomy chapter 34, where I hope you've turned to, records his death. And and it should be clear why he didn't write that. Because he was dead. But unless, of course, he was divinely inspired to write about it, even though it hadn't happened yet, I I find that unlikely. Um, It's much more likely it was written by his right-hand man, Joshua. And in Deuteronomy 34, verses 4 through 6, it reads, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of God, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. And I'm going to go a little bit further, where it says Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials 
and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. That's not a bad resume to have, is it? And Moses, he was a great man. And again, this is how my mind works. What was his funeral like? Maybe some mourning, crying, people telling stories of his deeds. Someone comes in with a lighthearted story. You know, one guy stands up, everyone says, oh, no, I hope he doesn't stand up and tell an embarrassing story. <laughs> you know, people laughing, remembering fondly who, is the, who this great man of God was. It's what people do, but there was one thing missing. His body was gone. Nobody had it because as we just read, God placed it on a peak somewhere. And I, I think it was just last week that I actually talked about how the devil tried to steal the body of Moses, how it's talked about in the book of Jude, and he wanted to turn it into something that the people would worship. But Michael fought Lucifer and was able to keep the body hidden. Now, who might the third most mysterious death in the Bible be? Elijah. You guys have been paying attention. I feel like a teacher again. It happened several centuries after Moses. Of course, it's Elijah. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. Because here begins the build-up to Elijah leaving this earth. He knows that he's leaving, and God is going to do it in one of the strangest ways recorded in the entire Bible. I really have to hand it to Elijah. He has a lot of notorieties in the Bible. He sees some of the most amazing miracles. He has some of the most amazing conversations with God, and he has a death like no other. i got to hand it to him. And the story also involves his protege and friend, Elisha. I remember how last week I said that Elijah had developed a maturity between him and God, almost unparalleled. He can deliver God's messages without arguing with God anymore. It's quite a gift. And it's here that Elijah is given the rare gift of knowing when he is going to leave this world. A gift that not many people have in Scripture. Jesus, of course, knew, and King Hezekiah knew. But Elijah, at this point, has been tipped off that the end is near, and he is about to leave this earth. So chapter 2, verse 1 of 2 Kings. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And it's interesting to see that while Elijah knew that he was going to leave this earth, he was willing to do it alone. It didn't matter to him if anyone saw it or not. Elisha was not required to follow him. But I think he just had to see his master leave this world. Verse 3, the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Way to put them in their place. <laughs> then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. 
The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. It's almost as if Elijah is testing his protege's loyalty. You're really going to follow me this far? How far are you willing to go? And sure enough, every time Elisha agrees to it. And if anyone is doubting the legitimacy of Elijah, just read this next part with me, where it says, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. I love this. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left. And the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And I can only think of two other people that have done this before in the Bible. Moses and Joshua. And they both did it for thousands of people. But Elijah, it's funny, he does it because it's just think it's more convenient. He does it for two people. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you uh, see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And so now it's established who the successor of Elijah is going to be. Obviously, it's Elisha. And this, this dialogue itself is a whole sermon unto itself. So that'll have to be for another time. But let's get to the main event, shall we? As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Pretty fitting, being his protege, wouldn't you say? Company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him, and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? You know, just like Enoch and Moses, I have no idea if there was a funeral. But if there was, I could imagine. Everyone would get together, they'd mourn, they'd remember the good times, laugh a little, cry a little. But what was missing? His body. 
his body was missing. And it's not lost on me that they gave up looking after three days. The symbolism is incredible throughout this story. And we know so little about Enoch except for the few verses that the Bible gives us. So I'm going to talk about the similarities between Moses and Elijah. You ready? They stood alone for righteousness. They were associated with fire upon mountains. They, were, they, were, uh, they lived in the desert. They met God in Sinai. They were chased out of their countries by pagan rulers. They knew God's miraculous provision for food and, wa- and water. They wandered in the desert. They fasted for 40 days. They were powerful examples of prayer. They both parted waters. They had close associates who succeeded them who also parted waters, and they both had mysterious, strange deaths. They had a few things in common, I would say. They're perhaps two of the greatest men of the Bible, and they had a close, amazing, amazing relationship with God. But that's not even the most impressive part to me. What impresses me is that neither one of them had a smooth start with God. Both argued with God. Both made excuses to God. Both struggled with their faith. Both were far too concerned with what others thought. And both struggled with obedience to God. That was the beginning. But God wasn't finished with either one of them, was he? God still sought to do a work in their hearts. And by God's grace, they were both able to do amazing things. What an amazing God we serve. And the story isn't even over yet. Because even when Jesus walked the earth, he had 12 guys following him around. And they believed every word he said, right? And they didn't struggle one bit with anything. And Jesus said, go. And they said, no problem, Jesus. I got this. You know, they're literally watching ears get put on and and withered hands pulled out and 5,000 people being fed. And wow, that's the greatest teaching I've ever heard. Uh, But Jesus, I'm not so sure about you. I mean, it's amazing. They witnessed prophecies being fulfilled before their very eyes, and they still struggled. How sad. And as much as I would love to say, well, you know, I'd have done things differently than those guys, you know, because I know I would have, right? I, I don't think that's such an easy claim to make because I wasn't there. Meet me in Mark chapter 8. Because this is one of the most amazing stories of the entire Bible. I'm dealing with a lot of superlatives today, just so you know. Some of the greatest prophets, greatest teachings, this is some of the greatest stories. If you've ever seen a miracle and then doubted, you're in good company. You're in very good. Jim Barner and I, we we talk about it. He'll see people that have just seen a miracle and they immediately doubt, don't they, Jim? And Jim had five people here on Friday night. Each one did a miracle, he says. Be amazing. It's amazing the things that that we see through Jesus. But this is where Jesus is taking his disciples to a very interesting place. And it's called Caesarea Philippi. A place with many monuments. And we read that and we just kind of go, okay, well, he took them to Caesarea Philippi. Maybe it was some small town. No, it had monuments. It had statues of gods. It had statues of emperors all of which demanding your worship. And some of these false gods, uh, they appear to people as human beings. And some of these emperors claim to be gods. Like Augustus Caesar. 
They demanded that worship. And here's Jesus. He's walking his disciples to take a good look at all these monuments around you. Look at all of these things that want, that demand your worship. Mark 8, 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? As if to say, am I anything like these guys? What do you think? What's the buzz about me? And they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Never found that body. Maybe that's you. And still others, one of the prophets. Now people actually think Jesus is Elijah. So many years have passed. Maybe Elijah's back. You know, maybe there's a second coming of Elijah. No, there isn't. But nobody saw him die. But Scripture talks about the sign of Elijah coming. Maybe one of the prophets of, of old is this Jesus. Maybe it's Enoch. Maybe it's Moses. I really don't know what they thought. The disciples sure had their thoughts on the matter of what others said about Jesus, and then Jesus gets very real with them. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, everyone say it with me, you are the Messiah. Everyone believe that? Correct answer. Jesus warned them, Do not tell anyone about this. And it's probably for their own safety. You know, it was a high crime to do something like that. But then the most telling part of the story happens immediately after. And it's in verse 31. He He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. The chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed, and after three days, rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter, who knew everything apparently, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Could you imagine rebuking Jesus? But then Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter and said the most infamous quote that every single disciple felt the need to record about Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You, he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Yikes. In other words, Peter just tells Jesus he's the Messiah, the Christ, the one that has been sent to set things right between man and God. The very Son of God prophesied in Scripture, the Old Testament, to die for our sins. Only Peter now says, you know, I know you're the Messiah, but you're not going to die. I got it. And unfortunately, Peter, he just can't have it both ways, can he? He really can't. Maybe uh, Maybe he thinks he's doing something good by trying to comfort Jesus and tell him that God's plan isn't what he thought it was. Now, Jesus, I know you're a smart guy, but I think I got this. And Jesus responded accordingly. And guess what? Jesus is always right. So if he said it, it's right. Get behind me, Satan. And that's a devastating rebuke 
for Jesus to call you Satan, wouldn't you say? But Jesus didn't say it to insult Peter. He didn't say it to tear him down. He needed Peter to understand the severity of the accusation that God's word isn't true. You need to understand this, Peter. He needed Peter to know that if you want Jesus, you can't just have the parts of him that you like. You have to accept all of him, no matter how uncomfortable it just might make you. And the same applies to us today, doesn't it? We used to have a term at our old church, cafeteria Christianity. You can go to a cafeteria and just pick what you want and ignore what you want. You know, you can, you can have some, some pasta and then go straight for the desserts if you want. You know, I don't do that, but maybe you do. Cafeteria Christianity is something to stay away from. It's a big book, and the whole thing is worth reading for that reason. And there are plenty of churches, preachers, and religions that will give you the watered-down Jesus that validates you no matter what you do. The Jesus that doesn't convict you of sin. The Jesus that looks the other way. The Jesus that watches you get distracted. The Jesus that wants you distracted by the news and culture and deception. He says, hey, do what you want. I support you no matter what. That's not Jesus. That is not. If that was Jesus, Moses would still be living in Midian by the time he died. And Elijah, who knows where he would have wound up. And I say all this because we are so distracted by the world today, aren't we? We're distracted by politics, by society, by opinions from people who just don't matter, right? We're distracted by hypocrisy, uh, by, by politicians. We like to point out how right we are, and you know what? We probably are. But that's not what Jesus told us to do. Now, we have to use wisdom. We have to guard our minds. We have to act accordingly. But right after the events that we just read, Jesus decided to take three of his disciples somewhere special. And the story, it's actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, but I want to I look at Luke's account today, okay? And it's in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. And this is an event that Peter and John would, they would later, they would write about it decades later. Peter goes on to say in his epistle, look, we couldn't have made this up if we wanted to. It was so amazing. And John talks about this very event in the opening lines of his gospel. This is a little lesson that Jesus had ready for his three top disciples. And just so you know, the place where it takes place is called Mount Hermon. It is the only mountain in all of Israel that is snow-capped year-round. Little detail, but it's going to make sense in a second. Verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing by him. And I can only imagine 
what Peter, James, and John are thinking at this point. How is it that Moses and Elijah are even here? Now, how did they even know it was Moses and Elijah? I don't think they were wearing name tags, do you? I think when we get to heaven, we're just going to know. We're just going to know. We're going to have that knowledge. And I think Moses and Elijah, I think they just had that knowledge that that's who they were. And why is Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah? Why not Isaiah? Why not Daniel? You know, why not Zephaniah or Obadiah or one of the other ayahs in, in the Old Testament? Zechariah, there you go. I think Jesus just needed to talk to someone that understood a mysterious death. Someone who's understood what others wouldn't. Moses and Elijah, two out of three of the most mysterious deaths in the Bible. Now, why wasn't Enoch there? I don't know. He might have been having coffee with Malachi that morning. He just wasn't there, okay? But I think he just needed a minute to talk to some old friends and say, they don't believe me. And then Peter opens his big mouth. Verse 33. As the men were leaving Jesus, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. You know, what was he saying here? Yeah, I think he's saying, you know, this is great. Let's keep it. Let's keep it up here. Let's stay up here for as long as we can and enjoy it. Is that the point of what we're supposed to do? No, we're supposed to go out. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. You know, what what just happened here? This is one of the most mysterious stories. People say, "What, what does this mean? Moses and Elijah. You know, the glory of God departed when Peter tried to do it his way, didn't he? And it's interesting because when it talks about how how bright and shiny everything was, you know, like I mentioned, it's a snow-topped mountain there. The snow behind him probably looked dull compared to it. That's how bright he was. But most importantly, I need everyone to consider something. What were the words of God at this point? Two statements, and the first one is what you need to know. This is my son, whom I have chosen. And if the first statement is what you need to know, the second one is what you need to do. Listen to him. Listen to him. Peter, if he says he's going to die, listen to him. If he tells us that aliens are attacking tomorrow, listen to him. I'm glad he didn't say that. And I cannot overemphasize this above all else. There's a righteous indignation out there for what's going on in our culture, for what's going on at higher levels. It's righteous. It's it's not a bad thing. But 
Who do we listen to? We need to listen to God. Do we listen to the news? It's good to stay informed, but we listen to God, don't we? I just can't overemphasize the importance of voting. I can't overemphasize it. If you have questions, I got a guy that I'd love for you to talk to. His name is Dan Roos. We're here to help you in that process. Do it tomorrow if you can. You can do it tomorrow. But I want to caution everyone. When we fill our minds with anything other than those two things, this is my son, do as he or listen to him, we entertain the notion that maybe God isn't as in charge as we thought, and that's dangerous ground. And can I tell you something else about Jesus? When he died, there had to have been a gathering of people together. Mourning, crying. I I have to believe they were so sad. The devastation was so real that they couldn't even bring themselves to tell a funny story and laugh. I have to believe that devastation was so real. Weeping. And there was a body there to prove it, that he was no more. A lifeless body that we once called Jesus. The lifeless hands that healed people. The lifeless mouth that told us so many stories. And a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea had had them put in, in his tomb to honor Jesus, the Messiah. Joseph was rich, even fulfilling a prophecy that Jesus would be buried as a rich man. And remember how after three days, the prophets stopped looking for Elijah's body? Well, the opposite happens here. The body of Jesus was missing after three days. Gone. What gives? They had forgotten that most important lesson that Jesus wanted everyone to know. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And I want you to know, if you're having trouble listening to Jesus these days, boy, do I have some good news for you. He's ready to talk to you. He is ready. If you're like Moses and Elijah in their younger years, weak, making excuses as to why you can't serve him, I have great news for you. He wants to make you like Moses and Elijah after they rose to such prominence in the kingdom of God that even when they left this earth, something sacred happened. Now, the title of my sermon today is God Has Something to Say. You guys remember the old song? God has something to say. God has something to say. Listen, listen, pay close attention. God has something to say. Are we listening? Am I the only one that knows that song? Okay, good. (laughs) Oh, Eddie knows it. Good. Eddie, can you get on the keyboards here? (laughs) No, actually, I'm closing. I do need you on the keyboard. Okay, good. (laughs) Where would I be without Eddie? (laughs) I'm so glad to serve a church of so many people who love the Lord, who love him. And we look for ways to change the world. We look for them. Again, I can't overemphasize the importance 
of knowing what's going on out there. It is important. I'll be the first to say. I'll be the first to read about it too. But if I could give you any advice, any advice at all in the world, it's two things. And they're words from God. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Get in the word. Read his words. Get to know him. And when you pray to God, never forget whose name you are praying through. Jesus. He was perfect. And he did it all for us. And I always say, you know, it's wise to know the issues. But the ultimate wisdom is going to lie with what we're listening to. Let's make it the voice of Jesus. And if you feel like you've kind of lost that recently, maybe you, you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is you, you pull it up and you get your newsletter and you, you know, start your day off angry. And you're laughing because you do it, right? <laughs> I know I do. You know, start your day off with your Bible. Start your day off in prayer. Start your day off knowing who our God is and who His Son is. And again, if you feel like that's not you, I have great news. Moses and Elijah were once that way too. I don't know about Enoch, but we'll find out someday. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. And if you have a prayer need, then... Of course, we were going to ask you to stay, and we'd have some people that would love to pray with you. And, well, let's just pray. You've heard enough of me. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your voice. We thank you for the voice of your Son. The words that you speak that only declare truth. The words that guide us, the words that show us what to do day in and day out, that shows us how to pray, what people to pray for, what nations we're going to change with your voice, what generations are going to be affected by your voice. God, we thank you so much. even by creation, was done with your voice. And we speak it over the Commonwealth of Virginia. And we are not here to say we're doing it our way. We are here to do it your way. So God, we thank you for the week we have ahead. We ask that you shut the mouths of lions. You shut the mouths of anything that could come against us and attack us even if they're our own words. We love you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, 